Hello and welcome to episode 29 of Command Space. My name is Mike Hurley and I am joined today by Mr. Michael Simmons of Flexibits. Hello, sir. How are you? Doing well, Mike. How are you? I'm very well, my man. Very well indeed. So I had you on um, when Fantastical launched. We had you on just on sort of the end of the show um, and we were talking a little bit about it because it was quite a high-profile release and I wanted to, to get, grab you on to talk about the, the app a little bit. But since then, we've... We had a couple of, of back and forth, and you said that you'd love to come on the show to talk about that. That's probably your telling you about this interview, right? It's telling me I'm late for this interview. <laughs> I always have an alarm. I always have an alarm. Speaking of fantastic, I always have an alarm set up before and one right after, just in case something goes wrong. Where it's like, how did you snooze that? <laughs> so uh, yeah, so we, we've spoken, and uh, you said that you'd love to come on and talk about making great apps. Definitely. Yeah, and that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. And I've kind of got some some questions in a bunch of different areas that I recognize as what I personally feel as a user makes a great application. Um, because I'm not, I am not a developer or a designer, but these are the things that sort of being a, a prolific user of applications, sort of the kind of things that I feel are important. And I guess you can chuck any in if you want to, you know, throw anything in there and then give, give our listeners, impart them your wisdom and knowledge. I shall try. So you currently, um, you I assume, full-time at FlexiBits, and you make Fantastical for the iPhone and, um, of course, the Mac too. I'm sure you have many other little projects you're working on. But is that fair to say this is this is what you do now? You work for this, this company that you have set up? Yeah, my full-time gig is FlexiBits. It's my business partner, Kent, and myself. Um, Kent's responsible for the code. I'm responsible for the design and then selling the stuff. <laughs> And uh, yeah, that's my full-time gig. Um, I am involved in some other projects. Um, I advise some companies. I'm actually a partner in Hockey App, which is a developer tool for developers, which we can maybe talk about some other time. But um, yeah, for as as full-time gigs go, though, my my core focus is on Flexibits. Hockey, I, I like that very much, which is, is kind of, um, it's like a lot of people talk about test flight, which is kind of, it's the same sort of idea, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And the difference between at least how we see TestFlight and ourselves is that we develop this tool as developers. We are developers. We make apps. We needed these tools. We need more tools. That's why we continue to develop. And we make it for ourselves first and foremost. We charge for the service because obviously we have bills to pay, right? And we have to get compensated for our time and our expenses. But from Hockey app's point of view, the thing that we do a little bit differently is the fact that we do charge for it. You know, you're our customer. As the developer, you're our customer. We're not looking to do something with you down the road. We don't use your data. In fact, the company's based in Germany, which has really strong privacy laws. So the data is very protected. Your, your, your data is your data, not our data. And um, it's really important, I think, again, to point out, we use the tools for ourselves first and foremost as developers ourselves before... Yeah. It's a product that we sell, and I think that's why it's done so well, and I think that's why other developers love it so much is because we're developers too. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've used TestFlight and Hockey, and I, I have constant issues with TestFlight, which you will be happy to hear because I, I never have any with Hockey. For some reason, it, all of a sudden, it, um, I just couldn't use any betas anymore on a new iPhone. Right. Just stopped working. No one could fix it. <laughs> now, you know, why, you know why we never really have any downtime? I mean, we actually have a status page which shows the downtime, and it's kind of cool that even – in a little cool UI fashion, we have uh, longer lines to show longer downtimes, which we're always aiming for longer lines. The reason why it's never down is since we use the tool ourselves, when it's down, we know, right? There's 
four of us that are, right. you know, the founders, main people on the team. And we're you know, the other three are based in Germany. I'm in the U.S. So we kind of have good time zone coverage support. But really, we're up late. We're up, you know, we're up doing our stuff. And when it's down, we know it's down because we use it. So um, that's another benefit, I guess, of the uptime is that you know that we're always going to be up because we use the tool as ourselves. Indeed. Ourselves. So your background is in design development. You've been doing this for, for a while. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to someone about this the other day, and I just can't believe it's this, but over 15 years, which, wow. uh, yeah, I'm getting old. <laughs> so you are, you are definitely definitely the guy to talk to about this stuff. Then I'm going I'm to say that, whether you would want to say it or not. Well, I'm you certainly the guy who likes to talk about it. But, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to think that there's – my successes and failures, I'd like to think that um, – I, I, I'm at a point now where I do like to share my wisdom because it's been pretty well proven and I want to help others be you know, successful. And I guess another um, an obvious point that you like to talk about, you have a podcast of your own, don't you, about, about development and stuff with your cousin, Mr. Brent Simmons. That is true. It's called Identical Cousins, and it's identicalcousins.net is our URL for our uh, podcast, and we're also on the iTunes uh, podcast section. Of course you are. Of course you are. So let's jump right in. You happy? Let's do it. I'm happy. So the, I guess the first, the first thing when it comes to developing an application is the idea. So I wonder for you, with everything that you've worked with, the projects that you have helped uh, bring to life, where where do these best ideas come from do, for you? I mean, I hear a lot of developers say these sorts of things. Do they come out of your own um, frustrations or failures of other apps or is it simply to scratch an itch? It's primarily to scratch an itch, but I'll go even further to say throughout my career from the beginning to now and beyond, I don't chase profits or money. And I'm not implying that anyone does, but I just think it's important to point this out that Every idea I've ever had, every company I've ever worked with, sure, we're in business to make money, and sure, we all want to be loaded, and sure, we want to pay our bills. But every idea I've always been most passionate about, I don't think about, oh my God, this is going to make millions, or oh my God, this is going to make whatever. I, I look at it as, what problem will it solve? And I always use the quote from Walt Disney about, you know, I don't make great films to make more money, I make more money to make more great films – it's it's the truth for me, and I think it's really important. I think even looking at Apple, like re, mo, most recently Tim Cook, and I know Steve Jobs had said this, we don't chase revenue. We make great products. I can't stress enough how important this is because the best apps, the best products make it on their laurels. They do make it on what they stand for, the sum of their parts. And I think if you sit there and think about how can we monetize this? How can we make money? How can we turn this into an app purchase so we can – gouge people. I mean, obviously, I don't think people actually sit there and say, how do we gouge people? But in essence, that's what they're doing. I think if you make things that make sense, and then you charge a price that's fair, you will be successful. And I'm just being very stressing on this because for me, if someone said distill everything you do from the beginning, which you are asking, it's don't chase the money, don't chase the profits, don't chase the revenue, chase a good idea and make it the best it can be and everything else will follow. I mean, that seems like pretty sound logic. You gotta, I guess, you know, don't, don't necessarily think that your end goal is to make millions and millions of dollars, as much as that would be nice. Um, if you're, yeah, I mean, sure. I, 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 my every day, I hope that Flexibits does well. Every day, sure, I'm checking my sales numbers. I still have a business to run. I still have a family to feed. I do have a family to feed, right? Like the, the money, 
to me, that's why I don't chase the money with the products that I make every day is because the money is something that has to be there. You have to make money. Otherwise, why are you doing what you're doing? But if you make really good stuff, then as I've seen in my experience and with others that I observe, you do well. You will have good success and that will lead to money. But if you focus on the money, you're probably not going to be making good things because you're just focused on making money. Seems pretty sound to me. So let's, let's talk about um, design. Um, in your opinion, with uh, an application that is considered to, to be great, how important is good design? Well, that leads back to the statement of making a good product. Good design is everything because good design is the experience. Yeah. So fantastic, Hal. I'm going to use it as a great example. When it started in our minds as a project, the way it started was Kent, my business partner, had a parsing engine that he wrote. He just had a parsing engine, didn't do anything except for it could take stuff and turn it into stuff. What would it take in and what would it take put out? We didn't know, but we had this engine that could interpret and parse things. Okay. So immediately I thought about calendaring. This was a problem that I had and I wanted to solve. So that's where we went. But once we had a prototype working where you could type in things like lunch with Mike on Thursday and it was actually outputting stuff, that was brilliant, right? It did what we wanted it to do. But that's such a small part of what Fantastical is. Obviously, it's sort of the crown jewel of the app because the parsing is the part that surprises and delights you. But now that you've seen, we'll look at the Mac app for an example. You know how the words float into place to kind of tell you, hey, this is what's happening. This is where I put what you asked me to put where. Mm-hmm. That was an idea I had because I didn't like the fact. So originally the way it worked was you would just type it in and boom, you'd have your, your output. But if something was wrong, then you'd have to go back and fix it, right? So I came up with a concept that would be, well, what if in real time we're showing you what we're doing with it, and then you can validate it before you add it? If it's all good, sweet, you go and add it. If it's not, you can edit it on the fly and see what went where. And obviously it worked out well, and I'm very proud of it. But that's user interface, and that's important because the whole experience of an app is the user experience, is the user interface. And if the app isn't good or the app causes users to do extra things or the app is confusing or the app doesn't help users have a better life because at the end of the day, software is about having a more productive, frictionless life, then no one's going to buy it. No one's going to be interested in it. If you look on the app store, the apps that do the best are the apps that solve the problems with the least amount of friction, I believe. It was interesting that you brought up the um, the words flying into place because I was going to mention that. Because I think that even even on the iPhone version, things are updating. Like you have like the little pane, um, which kind of shows the length of the the meeting as you as you type how long you want it to be, and it sh- it shrinks and, and and gets longer, and then it moves around. And the date you have like the little calendar in the background, and it flicks around to the day. And and that's I right. think that that's it, the same. Like and it, there's there's visual cues that things are happening because you say if you if it just did it in the background, yeah, it would be cool, but. I see if I've made a mistake. Exactly. And on the iPhone version, I'll tell you a little interesting tidbit. We weren't certain we were putting the flying words in. That's what I call them, the flying words. We weren't certain we were putting them in because another important takeaway I hope your listeners will take away is you don't just port an app. So Fantastical was successful on the Mac, but that doesn't mean that the same app that's successful on the Mac is successful on the iPhone. You have to take an app and make it appropriate for the device it's on. If we were to do Android or Windows or another platform, again, we wouldn't just port. It would be appropriate for that user experience because users are already used to a certain experience. So with the flying words, 
we were originally actually thinking we might not put them in because it's a mobile experience. It's something that someone wants to quickly enter something and get going. But as we played around with different user interfaces, I finally was like, well, if we keep it limited to just entering the text and then it's the words flow into place and you can quickly see everything, you know, then you can tap more details and edit, right? Or you can obviously delete and change things. That's a more mobile experience. So we had to tweak it, make it a little bit different than the Mac version. But regardless, it turned out that the floating words, flying words gave the visual feedback that confirms what happened and what Fantastic Hell did with what the user entered. And I think it's been, it's, it's, it's been well received. I agree, definitely. Um, I had a question from one of our listeners, um, CE Franco 2 on Twitter, and uh, they wonder how important it is f- to have trends in an app. So in, they mention like flat design and URL schemes. How important is that sort of stuff these days? That was another, that was another alert for another meeting. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least you know I'm using Fantastic Hell, right? <laughs> this is a question that I think is getting a lot of controversy has a lot of controversy right now I, I don't think it's necessarily important or something that you should think about i think you should make design that's appropriate for the app you're making it's almost like chasing the money if if there's a trend right now that seems to be where you m- make apps flat shaded or make them m- m- more plain whatever that trend is or whatever the type of design that you see to be a trendy thing. And that's another thing. What you see to be trendy may not be trendy, right? Sure, there might be a bunch of successful apps that use a certain type of look and feel. But I don't think it's important. Let's put it this way. I don't think you should be copying other people. I think you should be doing your own original things. When Fantastical came out, we actually got some criticism about like, well, it looks so different or the black and the red or the staples on the top of the calendar. And I mean, I can go on and on and on about all the complaints we got. But The truth is we got more compliments and more awards on our design than we got complaints. Now, complaints in design is actually a good thing because that means that people are seeing something different and probably, you know, unhappy with the fact that you didn't copy the norm. But from my point of view, I think the the best answer to the question is do what you think is best for your app and make it appropriate to your app. When I speak at conferences or I've been on other podcasts, I always say make an app that's appropriate. And it sounds like obvious advice, but... No, I, I see all these apps that have like bright color schemes for a productivity app or dark schemes for a, a fun app or whatever. Make an appropriate app. Make the graphics, make the experience, make everything appropriate to the type of app you're doing, the type of user that you have. So um, Chris Humphreys underscore also um, wants to know, how does, the inter- how does interaction um, affect the considerations you make with the design. So, for example, you have a click. You, have, you click things on the Mac and you touch things on iOS. Do they affect the way that you think about your design process? I, I, it may sound like a repeating kind of thing, but I do think, from my point of view anyway, that all the design that I do from from how I do it is kind of organic. So, okay, if you look at like the thinking process between point and click Mac or touchscreen, it's like I said earlier, you have to make an app that's appropriate to the platform. So yeah, I mean, the process is we have an app. What does it do? Okay. It makes you enter, find, search, add, do everything with your calendar faster. Okay. Well, on an iPhone, you're on the go, you're mobile, you have a touchscreen, which is a difference from a Mac. You have a smaller screen, 
you have now multiple screens because you have an iPhone 5 size screen, you know, and you have a smaller screen from iPhone 4S and, and 4, um, so on and so forth. So the thinking process is we have a concept of an app, Fantastical. It's an app that you type in natural language, you get events, and you have an event list and a calendar that's easy to use. But that's, that's the only similarity. The only similarity between Fantastical for iPhone and Fantastical for Mac is that they're the same app in terms of their functionality. But the actual experience of both apps is way different, and it's intentional. So the thinking process is that you have to consider the device you're developing for. You have to consider the implementation. You have to consider the interface and interactive means. You know, One's touch, one's not touch. Sure, on a Mac, you have a touchpad. And sure, we take advantage of the touchpad. For example, this may be something that some fantastic Cal users don't know, but if you're hovering your pointer over the calendar and you take two fingers on the touchpad on the Mac, on the trackpad, and you swipe left and right, you actually change months on the calendar. Did not, did not know that. I'm going to try yeah, that so now. Th- that's a little, you know, a little gesture in there. So yeah, we think about things like that. A lot of times we'll get users saying, oh, can you add more gestures? And we've thought about it. No, they didn't work. So you do have to think about the platform. You have to think about the interaction ways, and you have to be very deliberate. Uh, a lot of this is saying no. It's more saying no than saying yes. So hopefully that answers uh, Chris's question. I'm sure it does. Um, so I want to, um, you know, I know that you are more on the design side, but when it comes to, to coding, do you personally have any resources that you recommend to people if they're trying to get into this stuff? Well, the biggest resource I'd say is our community. I think if you get on Twitter and you start following, we'll say, people like myself or people, just, just anyone in Twitter, you can kind of get an idea because you'll see from retweets of people who want to help the community. There's a lot of people who do a lot of open, sto- open source projects that contribute to the community and then they're willing to help. You know, If you have a question, they're very, easy, they're very easily interested in helping. Uh, one of those people that comes to mind, his name is Peter Steinberger. And his Twitter account is Stipete, which is uh, S-T-E-I-P-E-T-E. Um, he's contributed a lot of open source code. Um, really good guy, really friendly, really helpful, and someone who cares, someone who actually is doing this for the product's sake, not the profit's sake. And you want to try to find developers like that that are making these open source stuff. Uh, even the members on my team at Hockey App we're all very helpful people. I mean, hockey is actually an open source project. If you don't want to pay us, you can set it up on your own server and do that. So, you know, to follow hockey app, which is at hockey app, that's another good uh, thing to follow. Um, another person who's really good in the community that's help, very helpful and does a lot of open source stuff, his name is Matt. Uh, I think it's Matt Thompson. And his Twitter, uh, his Twitter handle is M-A-T-T-T. That's three T's. Yeah, Matt Thompson. He's also very helpful, and he does a lot of open source stuff and is very willing to help. So that's from a developer point of view, a programmer's point of view. From a designer's point of view, the best thing to do is check out Dribble, which is D-R-I-Triple-B, D-R-I-B-B-B-L-E, and check out some of the designers on there and check out the work of some of the designers on there. Really good designers who are willing to give good feedback. I like to help people. Uh, actually, I'd say all designers are very willing to give feedback. So um, I can't think of any designers out there that if you ping them and say, hey, what do you think of this? They won't give honest feedback. I think basically talk to people. It, yeah. It's pretty straightforward. See if there's a Cocoa Heads meeting in your town. 
Um, there's uh, I'm trying to see if there's a website. Yeah, CocoHeads.org is the website for CocoHeads. Check out and see if there's a CocoHeads meeting in your town, which is basically a group that talks about Cocoa development for Mac and iPhone. There are monthly meetings and people present and talk to each other. And this is a worldwide thing, so it doesn't matter where you are. Um, lots, lots, basically lots and lots of stuff out there if you look for it. So I'm going to assume that when it comes to uh, beta testing that you use hockey to do that, right? I'm just gonna, Absolutely. I'm just going to assume that. Um, yep, no, it's a good assumption. <laughs> how do you decide who to include and, and what do you require from testers? So beta testing, first of all, is I have friends just that I've, you know, become friends with throughout the years that I know are good testers or that know what I'm working on because they're close enough friends and they've said they want to test. So we do that. There's a couple ways of getting testers. One way, of course, is through recruitment. So you can actually send out a tweet or ping people you know or email people. If you're just starting out, that might not be possible because you might not have a lot of Twitter followers or you may not have a website yet or maybe a new product. So the best thing to do is maybe find some people that are prominent app developers and just say, hey, I'm working on an app. Do you want to check it out? Now, I get a lot of requests for things like that, and obviously I can't do them all, so you need to get my attention. You need to send me a screenshot, or you need to tell me what the app does, or you need to do something very quickly that makes me want to be interested. Um, Jim Dalrymple, who's a friend of mine, had actually spoke at a conference, and he made, up, he made this point that is so important that his email box gets flooded with press releases and check out my app, and I want to be covered. And he has to go through all these emails, Right. He's either a bad guy who's deleting them all or he's a good guy who's reading them. And I know Jim's a good guy and he reads them. But that means that he has to read them, which takes his time. And obviously during the course of a day, he only has a certain amount of hours and he wants to spend time with his family. So basically he said that he looks at the subject line and will scan the email. He basically gives each email has roughly, I think he said like three to five seconds or something like this. But the point is, is if you can't quickly tell me or quickly show me or quickly illustrate to me why I should care, then I'm, I'm going to be too busy or move on. Or I'm going to say, if he can't do this or she can't do this that quickly, wh- why should, you know, what else, what, what, what's there that's cool? If something's cool, you should be able to quickly say it, right? You should be able to quickly show it. In fact, um, back to kind of the design thing, this actually gives me another tip for your listeners. A mission statement is very important when designing an app. Having a simple sentence, a simple statement that states what your app can do and what it will do. Once you have that statement, everything from the app becomes much clearer too because you have a focal point of what the app is going to do. So Fantastical for iPhone was the fastest and friendliest calendar for your you know, iPhone. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we hit that target. We always thought about it being fast and friendly. And as simple as it might seem, that one sentence ended up becoming what the product was. There you go. It's pretty, pretty cool. So support, right? Now, what system... What systems do you, do you have in place when it comes to dealing with support queries? So we happen to use a product called Cerberus. Um, Cer- I'm trying to remember what the full name of it is, but it's called, well, the, the short version is Cerb, C-E-R-B. Uh, their website is CerberusWeb.com, C-E-R-B-E-R-U-S Web.com. And basically, it's a web platform. They will run it on their server or you can run it on your server. We choose to run it on our server, so we install it on our servers and then you basically you pay a fee, and then um, you you can run the app. Basically, though, um, it's an on-site license. Like I said, you run it on your own server. 
Um, I'm sorry, you pay per seat is how it works. Uh, they've changed their licensing uh, scheme. But anyway, they're really good guys. They listen to changes. And the thing that I love about it the best is it basically hooks up to your email server and just ticketizes the emails. So people email or through our web form submit a ticket, uh, a, a form. It ticketizes it. We then go in, log into our dashboard. We can quickly see the tickets. We can assign them to each other. You know, if there's a bug that I can't figure out and it's something I need to assign to Kent, I assign it to Kent. And if it's something like a promo code or business, Kent assigns it to me. And it's just, it's a really nice system. There's a ton of help desk systems out there, but for some reason, I just like this one. It seems pretty simple. It's straightforward. It's more like using email where a lot of the other systems, and some developers like the other systems, everyone teach their own. The other systems are more of like a, conversation kind of thing and then like a knowledge base and you can kind of push people into different directions and it's kind of a dashboard for Twitter and all this stuff. Everyone has different working methods. With Twitter, I like to go on Twitter and focus on Twitter. With email, I like to focus on email. So for us, that's a great solution. Um, Like I said, there are other solutions out there where you can kind of put everything into a help desk dashboard, but um, this Cerberus or Cerb6 uh, is a really good product that I found, and um, they support it really well and make changes. So it's really nice. So it sounds like it's, it's the two of you, you know, doing the support. Is it difficult to manage? Like how much of your time does it take up? Yeah, funny that you bring this up. Uh, we're actually in the process of hiring someone to do our support. Um, I, I, I'm sad about this, actually, because I love doing support. It lets me speak to my customers. It lets me interact with them. It lets me find out what's wrong. It lets me keep my finger on the pulse. I can go on and on, but I won't completely stop doing it. Like, I'll still check in and check tickets because, like I said, it's me having a connection to my customers. The second support is off my plate, I don't really know what's going on. It's up to a middle person to tell me, oh, these are the current problems. Oh, this is what people are saying. I'm not saying that the person won't do a good job at it, but it's just not the same connection to your customers. You don't get the, the vibes and stuff. When people complain, look, you get emails where people are just bitching. And those emails, you can't really do anything about. The pe- person might be in a bad mood or maybe whatever. So you, you get the tone and the feel and the connection to your customers in such a different way when you're actually handling support that you know I, I am. I'm a little sad about giving it up. On the other hand, we have a bunch of projects in the pipeline we're doing a lot of really cool stuff this year. The support tickets have started to really grow. Obviously, we only had Mac. Now we have iPhone. iPhone has done very well. Mac is kind of having a renaissance, I think, because of the iPhone doing well. <laughs> um, so support has gone up. Now, it's something we can still handle, the both of us, on a daily basis, but it takes time away from development. So now that we're kind of rolling and our revenue is doing well enough, we need to look to hire someone. It just seems like the natural thing because our time is better spent developing apps than answering support tickets. That's good. I mean, in the long run, it's good for the users because we're going to get more great development and, and stuff from you guys if because you're able to put more of your time into it. Exactly. And we're able to fix more bugs because if we're spending time just answering questions about bugs, we can't really be fixing them, can we? Very very good point. So I want to take a, a very quick break here and talk about our sponsor for this week. And then um, I have a bunch of other um, interesting things that I want to talk to you about. So, of course, we are sponsored this week by those fine folks over at Squarespace.com. So Squarespace, they give you absolutely everything you need to make your own website, blog, portfolio. They give you all of the tools that it takes 
to put your site online. It doesn't matter how experienced you are with building websites, you can build something amazing in quite literally minutes. You don't have to worry about hosting, scaling, integration with social services. You don't have to worry about hiring a designer or a developer for your site. It doesn't matter how experienced you are with those things. You can just put it all together yourself with their great tools, their great WYSIWYG tools. And they have beautiful templates that feature responsive web design, so they look fantastic no matter what device that people are visiting your site from. They have a great um, site builder, page builder called Layout Engine. It allows you to create custom layouts in seconds using their drag-and-drop engine. You can just drop in blocks of content. It's really quite cool to see and move around. And it it gives you the ability to create your own page is the way that you want them very, very quickly. They have great statistics, and these are also built into their iOS and Android apps that also let you manage and post to your site on the go. They have um, a blog importer as well. If you want to um, easily bring over your current blog, you can do that. They have um, some... The templates that they have, not only do they look great, they're adding more all of the time. They have um, integration with great uh, font services, so they have their own great web fonts. They have Google fonts, Typekit fonts. And they're just constantly adding more and more features to the platform, which is really cool. Um, I know some people now that create their own podcasts using Squarespace. You can host the files there. Um, they give you all the tools for RSS feeds and everything. It's, it's really cool. I mean, the things that you can do with this platform really, really make it worth you checking out. And I'll give you a free trial to go and do this. Go to squarespace.com forward slash 70 decibels and you can start your free trial. If you're happy with the service and you want to sign up, Squarespace then starts at $10 a month for their standard plan and $20 a month for their unlimited plan. If you sign up for a year up front, you'll get 20% off this price. And if you sign up for two years, you'll get 25% off. But use the code 70decibels2 at the pricing screen at checkout, and you will get an additional 10% off your first order. So go check out Squarespace, everything you need to make an amazing website. And just before we jump back into the questions, Mr. Simmons and Flexibits have very kindly provided us with some fantastic packs to give away. So two um, of you lucky listeners, if you want to enter, um, can be in the chance to win a copy of Fantastic Hell for the iPhone and a copy for the Mac. Um, this is very, very kind of them to do this. All you need to do is follow me on Twitter. I am iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. And just tweet to me, say that you listen to the show and that you want to win um, one of the packs. As, as I said, there's two available. Um, and then by the time that next week's show comes out, I will pick two people at random to be in receipt of this fantastic prize. So thank you very much to Flexibits for providing us with this. So as I say, you need to just tweet to me and say that you've enjoyed the show and follow me as well, iMike, I-M-Y-K-E, so I can direct message you and let you know that you have won so yes now let's get back to the questions so let's talk about the app store so obviously the iphone you're exclusive to the app store and you do sell um, on the mac you sell through the app store as well Um, and i wonder what are the benefits so i have sort of written a couple of things down that i think could be a benefit so you've got the exposure, which we'll talk about that in in a a little bit more in a moment. But you've got payment systems and checkout stuff all built in. Um, Obviously, you pay for it, though, with the 30%, and you get free marketing. I'm sure there are other things, the hosting of the application. What, what for you, uh, for you guys, are the benefits of using the App Store? Well, the App Store is really super simple. I mean, the, the, the whole experience that Apple has done just makes it, easy. You upload your app, you put in your description, your screenshots, and basically that's it. You're done. Um, you obviously have to be 
<laughs> I, I mean, I hate using the word lucky, but you have to be lucky to get featured by Apple. Um, and by lucky, I mean have a really good app that Apple is interested in. But it's still lucky, right? Because you can make a great app. There's a ton of great apps out there that don't get recognized. Now, is that because they're not doing good PR or they're not bringing it to Apple's attention or they're not getting enough buzz? Enough buzz? I'm sure I could come up with a bunch of answers, but it is a privilege and an honor to get featured by Apple. They don't just feature everyone, and we've been very you know, happy and grateful about that. But in terms of the app store, it's just really easy. You just, you just upload your apps, and you're basically on sale, and then people can find your apps. Now, that being said, on the Mac version, we do have our own store still. We still run a Flexabit store, and the provider, the partner that we work with, I love. They're called FastSpring. And their Twitter account is at FastSpring, and their website is just FastSpring.com. Um, they are the best. Uh, we, I, I was using them before the App Store launched on, on other, with other companies I was with, and they are the best when it comes to customer service. They literally make it as easy as Apple to run your own store. Yeah, you have to do some setup stuff, and yeah, you have to kind of create the cart and create all of the currency stuff. I mean, it's setup stuff. You have to set up the stuff in the App Store anyway, but... Once it's there, it's really good. And there's a lot of benefits to having your own store. As you know, there's a lot of limitations on the App Store. For example, you can't give discounts. When it comes to promo codes, you only get a limited amount of promo codes. Um, by, by running your own store, you can do things like have a sale and then put out coupons. Um, by having your own store, you can do education sales. You can create purchase orders. You can do special things like offering discounts to a company and when they log in with their company URL at auto discounts. Just a lot of real cool features that allow you to have a, your own store. Another nice thing about FastSpring is they actually have an SDK and this is really cool because it's actually on GitHub as an open source project so you can even modify the project if you don't like what they have. It's basically just a Safari uh, WebKit view but if you go to github.com slash FastSpring, you'll see their embedded store projects. And um, what's great about the embedded store is you can't have trials on the Mac App Store, as you know. Um, you can have free versions, but you can't have trials that then you pay and turn into a full version. Well, we need a trial. Fantastical has a 14-day trial from our website. Well, when the trial's over, there's an option to buy now. If you click that, it opens a web view, opens our store. You can purchase it right in the app. And get this, it even auto-licenses it. So when the license code is issued, you know, it's usually a really long code you have to enter. Once the purchase process is done, it automatically you know, licenses the app, and it's done. The window closes, you're licensed, and it's complete, full-functioning version of Fantastical. That's cool. It's a great, gr- yeah, great user experience, really low friction point for the customer. Because a lot of reasons why someone doesn't buy an app, believe it or not, is what they call cart abandonment. Someone intends to buy your app, and then they get distracted, or they can't figure something out, and then they say, forget it, and then they're gone, right? You've lost them. And that experience of that in-app embedded store from FastSpring really has converted into a lot of sales for us. And um, I, 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 I love them. <laughs> I could talk about them forever because they've gotten me out of a lot of binds in the past. And by binds, I mean like, you know, the store is, is your company. And if something happens to it, well, you're losing money. And they're really great when it comes to problems. Uh, just amazing customer service. I, I, I can't recommend them enough. So this is something that goes a little bit back onto the design again. Um, how important are good screenshots in the store? Very important. In fact, uh, when it comes to the app store, they're your only visual, right? They're the only thing that you can communicate to your customer with. So on the Mac app store, so on the iPhone app store, 
some developers have taken their screenshots because it's, you know, they're iPhone sized screenshots, right? And they'll garnish them up, which means then the screenshot of the app is smaller. Mm-hmm. By garnish them up, I mean put some text like, you know, features and things like that. We didn't do that. We're just using screenshots. If your app can't look good or tell the story in itself, you probably designed a bad app. I hate to say it that way. Yeah. But it's almost a good thing that Apple forces you to use the screenshot of the app because if your app doesn't stand on its own on an iPhone, especially for a mobile device, you probably did something wrong, right? I mean, what on the you- Mac, on, yeah, on the Mac, however, it's different because we have a menu bar app. You have to kind of explain it, right? You have to kind of say what's going on, and we do on the Mac App Store, where you can have a bigger screenshot because um, it's obviously a desktop size screenshot. You can put garnishments, and we do. We talk about the features. We put some arrows pointing at things, and we kind of give yeah. people a quick overview. But yeah, the screenshots are incredibly important because that's your window dressing. That's your chance to tell people what you stand for. Do you think that, um, I mean, Google does this, do you think it would be better if you could put demo videos into the App Store? I do wish there were demo videos. Now, on the other hand, I will say there is a double-edged sword to demo videos. People could get so caught up in the demo video that they then run out of time and don't buy it. Good point. The App Store is very geared, if you haven't noticed, to a quick purchase thing. You either want it or you don't, right? Buy or don't quickly look and don't buy or buy or don't, you know what I mean? Like it's meant to be an impulsive kind of experience. And I think Apple has done that intentionally because they found that it works. Someone comes and sees something, they go, oh, this looks good. I got to have it. And they click it. I think the more information you give someone, the more you may confuse them and actually not help their purchase decision. It's interesting. I hadn't thought of that before. Now I know that you need to get out of here quite soon. Um, Hence that that meeting notification. She <laughs> <laughs> uh, got about ten minutes. We're doing good. We're good. There. But Thanks. I, I appreciate I appreciate you being on top of that. And no worries. I've got a couple of things. I want, a couple more things I want to talk to you about. Um, and one is press. Um, how important do you, is it for you and for your company to get your app into the hands of bloggers before release? Um, it depends. It really depends. If you're doing an app that you want to have a launch splash where. On day one, you ha- it's very – first of all, so you have to time all this, right? Because if you have certain bloggers you've given it to and – so embargoes are really hard also, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, like I can get into – there's a big topic on this. But basically, people make decisions which then affect other people's decisions. And then you have people who have agreed to hold an embargo and then they feel like you're screwing them because someone else broke it. And it's like now I can't break the news and I look bad and – it's a big domino effect that's bad. So I can't give a specific answer because I think every launch strategy is a little bit different. But the way I view a launch strategy being successful or that I would do is like this. When the app's getting close, and by close it means you've submitted it and you know it's coming, you tease. You do some kind of teaser that gets people hyped, whether it's an image, a screenshot, a text, something like that. You just tease. Then what you do is you release the app. You usually do want to have some of the key bloggers interested in your app. Now, obviously you can't just say, please be interested in my app. You have to send them something that makes them interested. You have to get them to want to be interested by having a great app. If they're on board for that, then you can say, okay, this is the date that we're launching and trying to time everything. If you have too many people in the loop will fail. 
um, because someone will break it. And, and why will someone break it? Well, because your app will become on the app store at a time when you didn't want it to be. And then someone will see it and break the news. And then everyone's like, well, the news is out there. It's over. And you just, you really have to balance this stuff, right? Because you don't want to let people down. You don't want to disappoint people. You don't want to tell people who were really kind and respectful to you and say, okay, I'll hold the news. Well, but they got to the news first, right? Cause yeah. let's be honest, when it comes to a blogger, having the news first is everything. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's a balancing act of keeping all the plates spinning, I would say. So, I mean, if you ever give early access, so you give like beta codes to, to um, bloggers, how do you make the decisions about who you're going to issue them to? Because you only have a limited amount, right? Yeah. Um, well, there's ways around that, though, because you can ask beta testers to be you – can, you can have them in on the test process. You know, you can give them a UDID in the test process. Obviously, you only get a limited amount, and back to what you're saying, on the, on the slots, but – you can you can do it in the right way. I mean, let's be honest. In the Mac iOS industry, there's not that many bloggers that that, that are in the top echelon, if you will. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that you only give it to the top. In fact, I like giving it to people who are maybe not as well-known or somebody that has a different spin because you want to get a good balance of things. Just going for the top only kind of – if your app's that good, they'll probably pick it up anyway because they need news, right? Yeah, exactly. Um. So let's talk about last thing before I let you go. I want to talk about updates. Sure. Um, how do you draw the line or how will you draw the line with feature updates? Like at what point do you think, okay, we, we've, we've given people enough stuff for free here on, the, on maybe the first license. So then you want to think about um, – you want to think about making people pay again. So one, when do you, it's like a double, double question this. When do you draw that line? And two, what do you think is the best way to do this in app purchasing or by making a brand new application? It's really, again, one size won't fit all. What this I will is so say hard. is, this is such a hard topic for developers at the moment. No. Well, the thing is, is I think if you adhere to a strategy, that's the same strategy over and over again, you're going to get it wrong. I think you have to look, so let me give you an example. Fantastic Al for Mac has been out. This is a perfect example. Fantastic Al for Mac has been out since May 2011. Okay? May 2011, we've been providing features and updates, right? Mm-hmm. So we're coming on almost two years of free updates for an app. Now, granted, there are people who bought and trusted us early. There's people who's just buying it now. You know, there's always the argument of, well, I just bought it last week, and now you're coming out with 2.0. Screw you. Whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. the point. You, you, you will never win, so at some point you have, to, you have to draw the line. But my point is, is two years of updates for Fantastical for Mac, you can pretty much assume we're kind of done with major features for that, right? Mm-hmm. So if we do major features for the Mac and we do want to, where do we go? Do we do in-app purchases? Do we make a whole new version? Do we – the, the point is there's a lot of questions, and the answers are really hard. But at some point you have to either make it and execute or don't because that's one of the biggest things that can actually harm developers is atrophy not making a decision because your users don't get something then and if you continue to develop for free then you may not be as eager or able to put in more features later because now you're you're you're, you feel beat up that you had to give something for free so i always tell my fellow developers or the companies that i advise charge for your work You're taking your time to put something in, charge for it. That's not to say that you nickel and dime your customers and charge for everything, but Fantastical, two years of free updates, free upgrades, lots of features, including when we added localization for multiple languages, reminders, 
originally, we didn't even have editing and deleting events, which obviously is a complex problem, right? We were originally kind of a simple calendar viewer. Now we're really a full calendar app in your menu bar, right? And all of these features and bug fixes and OS upgrades and improvements have been going on for almost two years. And considering that we've had customers for almost two years, that's a great value, right? But at some point, don't we need to get paid for our time that we continue to put in? So we have to come up with a strategy on how to do that. So I think it's really important just to think about that because at some point you can't just keep making software for free. Sure, you have new customers that pay the bills and I'm not arguing that we don't, but you also can't continue to make new features and improve on your software and take your time and not get paid from everyone, right? Definitely, definitely. So, yeah. so Mr. Mr. Simmons, thank you very much for joining yeah, my me. Pleasure. This has been a real interesting um, view through the looking glass, I think, into what goes on in that development brain of yours. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. It's funny, uh, looking at your Skype icon, which is also your Twitter icon, where you're screaming into that mic, mm-hmm. I picture you doing this the whole podcast, although you're quite calm. I, um, I have my mouth open very wide, but I whisper. So it, <laughs> it balances out. So why don't you tell people uh, where they can find you? I mean, wh- where's a good place to keep in touch with you? Yeah, so if you want to tweet with me directly, it's uh, Twitter. My account is MacGuitar, M-A-C-G-U-I-T-A-R. Uh, if you want to check out my stuff, it's flexibits.com, F-L-E-X-I-B-I-T-S.com. I actually am working on a blog. I know it sounds insane that I don't have one, but I I have a lot to say, but I'm one of these people that I don't feel like I need to blog all the time to have something to say. And I feel like if I have a blog, then I'm kind of obligated to say things. Yeah, And maybe that's a bit different than the normal developer out there, but I don't want to have to say things all the time to have to say things. I kind of just want to do things. I think actions speak louder than words, but enough people have said, you really should get a blog or at least have something where people can get a hold of you like for the questions that you just asked. So um, I, I, I will have a blog. I already have a page that's in process and you know, someday I'll get to it. But uh, Twitter Twitter's the best way of getting a hold of me right now. Awesome. It's and my micro blog, right? Exactly. And I am on uh, Twitter and app.net and uh, I am iMike, I-M-Y-K-E there. Um, next week we have uh, Steve Strezer of Pocket on and maybe we'll talk to him about some similar things that we've spoken about today and get his opinions and stuff like that coming from a, a slightly different standpoint. So I'm sure that will be very interesting. So, yes, you can um, you can listen in next week and hear all about that. Thanks again to Mr. Simmons. Thank you all for listening. Until next time. Bye-bye.